0: Good morning church, great to be here with you, and great to have you here, special shout out to any of you who um, before this year, well this is your first time in church, in any church, just want to wish you a very special welcome, so glad that you chose us to be your first time and, um, and I hope you are blessed, there's no better time than now to visit our church because we're on a series called Starting Right. And this entire series is about um, starting your year off on a good start. And we all know this subconsciously, you know, we always make New Year's resolutions. um, We try to get our life in order, like going to the gym again or doing a diet or getting some disciplines in order in our lives because, you know, the perfect time to do that is in the new year. Not really, but for some reason in our minds, new year means new start. New year means new me. And there's a very important part of our lives that, We need to get right as well, and that is our spiritual lives. So today, we're on the topic of renewing our word life. Renewing our word life. That's a very cryptic way of simply saying that my job today is to get you to read your Bible. Okay? Um, You all knew this. When you saw, that, you saw those, that title, you knew that, okay, this preacher is just going to get me to read my Bible, and that's absolutely true. That is my one goal today, is to get you to read your Bible and to love doing it, okay? But here's the problem. Some of you, when you heard me say that, you sank back in your chair, and you sighed a little, and went, oh man, here we go, you know, great start to the year. Why did I pick this church? Because, you know, you've heard this before, or maybe... You've been a Christian for a very long time, maybe many, many years. And the thing is, you know you should be reading the, the Bible. You know why you should. You know that is a good thing to do. But the problem is that whenever you open it up, it seems boring and it seems dead. Nothing seems to happen. And I, and I resonate with that. I empathize with that. And I actually want to speak into that. Because I don't believe that needs to be your lot in life. I don't believe the Christian life is meant, I don't believe God gave us this this book that we call his word for it to bore us to death. I believe that he gave it to us to give us life. I believe he gave it to us because it is powerful, it's life transformative, it reveals who he is, it reveals who we are meant to be. And I want us as a community of believers to experience that. Now, if you're here for the very first time, and, or maybe you're not a Christian, you don't consider yourself a believer, and you don't hold this word as authoritative in your life, that's totally fine. My hope today is that by the end of it, that you will maybe give, give this a go. Maybe open it up and give it a shot. Give it a little read and see what happens. I believe that when this word is read, that God is at work. That God uses word that is alive and that is active, it is God-breathed, and it is at work in your life, and God does something. And so that is my hope for us today, but I am under no illusions that this is impossible for me to do. I do not have the power, I do not have the eloquence, I do not have the wisdom, I do not have the charisma to convince you and persuade you to read the Bible. The Holy Spirit needs to do that. God needs to do that. So let's devote this time in prayer, shall we? Father, you are awesome. You are good. You are faithful. You are gracious to us so much so that you've given us your word in written form. We are so thankful for who you are and what you revealed to us. And I pray that today it will be your word that speaks to us, the power of your Holy Spirit that works within us. And I pray, oh God, that this time will be fruitful. It will be edifying for us, oh Lord, and for our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's see if I can frame the problem that many of us face, um, that many of us struggle with when it comes to this topic. Um, For many of us, we will consider ourselves genuine Christians that really love God, that believe in Jesus Christ, but at the same time, we genuinely struggle to read our Bibles and to like doing it. Sometimes, at best, it is a chore. Anyone resonate with that? You don't need to put up your hands, it's fine. Um, But you know, I resonate with that a lot. Because for a long time, like when, even when I was a pastor, actually when I first became a pastor, I really struggled with doing my devotions or specifically reading my Bible. And that might sound really ironic because I, isn't that your job? That was the point. <laughs> that was the problem. It became my job to read the Bible and to study it. And, and I, I, what happened that I experienced and that I realized that a lot of pastors experience is that that line between your private devotional life and reading the Bible for to hear God speak and reading the Bible to deliver a message to people was blurred. And what I found was I, when I first stepped into full-time ministry, I actually found that um, I really struggled to hear God speak from his word just for me, just for, for my edification. And I tell you that because I don't want you to think that I'm on some kind of different level. That just because I'm a pastor, I have a special relationship with God that you can't attain, right? Unless you're in full-time ministry, unless you spend 24-7 in church, right? No, no, that's absolutely not true. I am just like you. I struggled with this for so many years. And I'm not saying that I'm God all together now. Um, But I will say that God in recent times has been revealing to me that this word is truly alive and active that I have been hearing him speak through his word directly to me, and that is a special experience. For some of you, that has been a very, very long time since you have heard God speak through his word to you. Not through a sermon, through his word. And my hope today is that you will experience that again. Yeah? So the problem that many of us face, the fundamental problem, I believe, um, that I experience and I believe many of us are experiencing is that the Bible has just become another book. That, for many of us, is the fundamental problem. The Bible has just become another book. And it's not because we don't know or believe that this book is special or that it is supernatural. We believe all that, but the problem is that whenever we read it, nothing seems to happen. Let's do a little comparison, shall we? Right, for just for fun. Um, I've got a book here. It's called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Okay? Anyone read this? It's like a million-copy bestseller, apparently. Um, Really interesting book, but it's just a book, okay? It is not a Christian book. It's written by Oliver Sacks. He's not a Christian, I don't believe. He's a neurologist. And this is just a book, okay? Very clear. And you can tell it's a book because, well, it falls like a book, you know? It's just, it opens like that, and it's got that V-shape opening. Compare this to this book. What is this book? This is the Bible. How do you know it's the Bible? It says Holy Bible. And also, when you open it up, it's got that holy book opening. You know that M? (laughs) Right? That's how you know it's a religious book. Now, can this, does this book contain truth, this other textbook. book? Does it contain truth? Absolutely, right? It actually is about um, a neurologist telling us different case stories of weird and wonderful um, conditions that people experience, like one man who mistook his wife for a hat, okay? It's got a lot of truth in here. This book, the Bible, does it contain truth? Absolutely. Many of us would attest to that. This contains historical truth. This contains truth about us, who we are. This contains truth about who God is and how the world is meant to operate, now, can this book change my life? Well, in a way, it can, to a certain degree, right? It can make me much more empathetic. It can, make, it can change my perspective on the world. It can change how I see things. It can affect my life significantly. Can this book change my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. It has the power to change your life, to never leave it the same again. Now, the problem that many of us face is that if this book, if this is just an ordinary book and it is true and it can change my life, what's the point of reading this book? What's the point of reading this book? Because for many of us, we don't see the difference anymore. Or at least we don't feel the difference. That when we read books like this, we are so impacted. Or maybe exchanges for a Christian book. And we're so impacted by it. We hear God's, oh man, yes, revitalizes my faith. And we read this book. Oh, boring. And, my, and this is the problem that I think many of us face. That the Bible has lost its edge. Let me bring you to then two passages. Because the question, first question I want to answer is, why then should we read the Bible? What makes the Bible so distinct what makes the bible different fundamentally different from a book like this and i want to bring you to two passages one in second timothy 316 and one in hebrews 412 to 13. 2 timothy 316 to 17 okay so the on the slide it might be a bit different from what i'm reading but it's okay 3 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, it says this For the word of God is living, or is alive, and is active sharper than du- any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. These are powerful claims about s- that scripture makes about itself, right? It's saying that, firstly, that every part of it is God breathed. Just as God breathed into the dirt of the earth and it sprang to life and became the first human being called Adam, right? God has breathed into these words. God has breathed into Scripture. Now, is there anything special about dirt? Not a true question. No, there isn't. There's nothing special about dirt. But when God breathes into it, even dead dirt becomes an invaluable human being. That, has, that is created in the image of God. Similarly, when these, the Bible, some people um, stumble over this fact that the Bible is very human. The Bible is written by human authors, uttered by human people, created, formulated by human hands. But yet, it has one single divine Author that has breathed it all out, that has inspired it, that has breathed into it, and that gives it supernatural power. It is alive and it is active. And bear in mind here, it says all scripture is God breathed. The scripture that it's referring to here is actually the Old Testament. Because if you, if you remember or if you know that when Paul is, is speaking to Timothy here, that the New Testament hasn't been written yet. In fact, he is in the middle of writing it. So their Bible is the Old Testament. So the part of the Bible that many of us find boring or find a bit weird, that is still God-breathed. That is God speaking to us. These are God's divine words delivered through human agents to a human audience with a single divine Author. So whenever we open the word of God, this is God speaking to us. This is so precious. And because God has breathed into this and God has breathed it out, it is alive and active. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this before, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, um, I'm reading a passage, suddenly a verse will grab my attention. Um, address something that's been troubling troubling me over the past week, or sometimes um, God will bring to mind uh, uh, an area of my life that I haven't been thinking about at all. It's almost like the Word of God has a will and mind of its own, right? Have you experienced that before? Uh, That's because the Word of God is alive. It has a mind and will of its own, and it is also not just alive, it is Active, meaning that it doesn't just sit there and do nothing. It is actively seeking out to bring transformation in your life. Whenever this word is read or heard, it is moving. It is at work. Even right now, it is at work in this place. It is at work in your life. It is doing something. These verses describe it very, um, very vividly. It describes it like a blade, like if you imagine a sword cutting into you Okay, very visceral, but if you imagine a sword cutting into you and piercing your bones and cracking it open to reveal what lies beneath, right? The the image here is that the Word of God is like a spiritual blade that pierces into the deep recesses of who you are and reveals what lies beneath. That is the power. That is what the Word of God can do and does. So, whenever this word of God is read, it is not just another book. The reason why it is distinct and is entirely different from a book like this is because God has breathed into it, is breathed in supernatural life, and it is at work whenever it is read by the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing for those five minutes that I've been talking, many of you, some of you, have actually switched off because you know all that. You've heard it before. Those two passages there, very familiar among Christian circles. You've heard it preached even better than what I've done, right? And the problem isn't that you don't believe or you don't know how powerful or supernatural the word of God is. The problem is that whenever you open it up, nothing seems to happen. Because see, in your brain, in your, in your life, the question is that you're asking yourself is, well, if the word of God is really God-breathed, then why is it that I never hear God speaking to me? If the word of God is really alive and active, like it says, like you say, then why is it that when I open it up, I feel that it is dull, I feel that it is boring, nothing seems to happen in my life. And so the conclusion that we've come to, many of us have come to, is that something's wrong with this book. Something must be wrong with this book. You know, I think I might have told the story before, but it's so apt. Um, when I first moved into my house, I, uh, in my bedroom, it was just Venetian curtains, um, Venetian blinds. And this, whenever the sun would rise, it would wake me up because it's bright, you know. So I decided, you know what, I need to get blackout curtains, Okay, you know what blackout curtains are? They, they just black out the light, right? So um, I got that from Spotlight, and I was assured by my parents that it's very easy to install. Okay, very easy to install. Now, you got to understand that I'm not a handyman by any stretch of the imagination. I remember doing woodwork in um, high school, and wh- wherever I brought back, broke. Okay, I bought, brought back a back scratcher, and the, the tip snapped off. The very part that's integral to its design snapped off. Okay, so I'm not a handyman by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought, how hard could it be? process on paper was very simple. Drill some holes into the wall, put the railing up, nail it to the wall, through those holes, put the curtain pole up, and then you're done. Okay? Very easy. Okay? Now, you see, what I didn't realize was that drills have different settings. And um, and so, depending on the material and the, 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 the nature of the task. So I spent definitely, without exaggerating, the first hour, an hour drilling one hole using the setting that's used for tightening nails. And I know some of you are face palming me so hard right now, but understand we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? I stick to my lane, you stick to your lane. So, um, but yeah, first hour. Nothing's happening. And I'm drilling there with all my might. And, you know, this is meant to be the display of my manliness, right? This is my one moment where I'm going, I'm going to prove to my wife, you know, I can, I can do manly things, right? And she's there at the start going, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. By this time, by an hour later, she's gone, right? <laughs> my parents have checked out, you know, they're on their phones, you know, playing around. And I'm just there like sweating away. And by an hour later, I'm very frustrated at this drill, because I'm tempted to return this to Bunnings because this is a lousy drill. What drill can't drill a hole in a simple brick wall, right? And so I'm very frustrated, very dejected, and I'm screaming at this drill. And um, But then I, I notice, I'm just looking at the drill and I'm feeling around with it, and I notice that there are different pictures on its side. And I notice that one of the pictures shows a very angry drill bit punching through a brick wall, right? So I'm like, Maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. So I turned to that, literally, 10 minutes later, Curtis installed. Right. Now, who should I blame? I want to blame the drill because um, it didn't come with a more comprehensive instruction manual right? for people like me, but, but um, that's not fair, is it? Because the drill had all the functions there to do the job. Right? The problem is that I didn't know how to use it. So my question is, is there something wrong with how we're approaching the Bible? Is there something, something fundamentally wrong with how we're approaching the Bible? And for some of us, there is. For some of us, I think there is. Something fundamentally wrong with how we're approaching the Bible or something very unhelpful Things that we need to change that can help us um, experience that the Bible is alive and active and and is God speaking to us. And for some of us, the simple issue, but very real issue, is that we struggle to understand what it's saying. Let's start there. Some of us, some of us, we open the Word of God, and have you ever experienced that? Just you read it, you understand the words on the page, that like you understand English, but you don't understand what it means for you. Have you ever experienced that ever before? You're reading the prophets and you're reading Hosea or, some, or Amos and you're going, why is this guy so angry? You know, um, you don't get it, right? That's the problem. And you, you, you understand the words on the page, but you don't understand how it applies to your life. So how do we reach this point of understanding where we don't just comprehend the words on the page, but understand how it applies to your life? If I may offer one suggestion, there are many things that we could do, but if I may offer one suggestion, if that's you, if you've ever experienced that, I think we need to spend more time dwelling on the words of Christ, dwelling on the words of Christ, just like Mary and Martha, if you've ever heard that story before, right? Mary and Martha, two sisters, Martha invites Jesus over to her house, and she's busy in the kitchen preparing everything to serve Jesus, but Mary, her sister, is just sitting at his feet, listening to him, dwelling in his presence. And Martha goes, tell Mary to help me. Come serve with me. But Jesus goes, Mary has chosen what is better. It's not going to be taken away from her. Many people are like Martha because we spend all this time serving God but fail to simply dwell in his presence, and dwell on his word. I think some of us, we need to learn how to do that. You know, when I went to Japan, um, there were several of these very small restaurants um, that had just a small little kitchen area for the, for the chef to do his work, and a very long and thin benchtop just to sit there. Have you ever have you seen that before? It's, there's some pop-up stores now here in Perth that look like that, and if you, ever, if you go to the Japan mission trip, you might see that, but... Um, but uh, but when I went to Japan, there's heaps of these restaurants, and and it's really cool because you go in and you order directly with the chef. The chef will prepare the food in front of you, and then he'll deliver it directly to you. Very cool. But the problem with these kind of restaurants is that um, there's usually a very long queue. If it's any good, there's usually a long queue. That's how you tell whether a restaurant's good in Japan, right? If there's a long queue, it's good. So and so that means that the turnaround time is very quick. There's no time to chit-chat. There's no time to just chill and have a drink, right? The purpose of going to these restaurants is to eat and get out, right? That's it, right? This is not the restaurant to have a good time with your friends, have a little drink, you know, have a good conversation, no. The purpose of entering this restaurant is to eat very good food and then get out of there. You can chat all you want outside the restaurant, but inside the restaurant, you are eating, right? Very transactional in nature, right? Heavily transactional. Now imagine doing that to a friend who's invited you over to their house, right? That would be extremely rude. Imagine you invite a friend over to your house and they come in, eat the food very quickly, and then leave. <laughs> You'd be like, why are you my friend? You know? like, that, that's extremely rude, right? Because the purpose of inviting a friend over to your house is to have a conversation with them. Is to have a, build your relationship with them to catch up. You'd, you'd expect them to linger, to chat, to have a drink with you, just to chill and just to have a good conversation. Many of us, we treat God like a Japanese restaurant more than like a friend. We go in to our devotional time and go, all right, God, I am here. Give me your word. All right, I'm out. It's heavily transactional. Did Jesus save you to just keep pummeling you with information? Is that what He wants? Just every day, all right, here's something new that you didn't know about me. Is that what He desires? Or did He save you to have a relationship with you? Did He save you to spend time with you? Did He save you because He loves you? He wants you. And how we're treating him when we come before him and when we read his word is, God, I just, I don't have a lot of time. I'm on the clock here. I need your word right now. And I need it good. And then I'll be out of here. Heavily transactional. But what if God just wants us to linger, to dwell in his presence, to dwell on his word. And by the way, when I talk about dwelling and lingering, I'm not talking about time. Some of you might be put off and go, oh, I don't have a lot of time to do that. It, just, it, just doesn't, it doesn't work well with my schedule. And then I'm not talking about time. I'm talking about posture. That The posture of our hearts, is it transactional? Is it, yeah, I just got to get in and get out? Or is it to rest in God's presence and go, okay, I'm just going to, instead of reading that whole chapter, I'm going to just read a small passage, just a few verses, and I'm just going to dwell on that just for a moment. And allow God to speak, allow God to do his work in my life. Now, for some of us, um, I want to take a step back here just for a moment. For some of us, when we read the Bible, the problem is that we really just don't understand what we're reading. Like, you can dwell all you want on a a passage, but it won't make any more sense than it does already, right? And that's because um, for some parts of the Bible, it requires more background knowledge. And I just want to put in this in, and this, this part is going to be pretty practical, but I just want to put this in here uh, for the sake of some of you, for the benefit of some of you. Um, for example, uh, if you have made a New Year's resolution to read your Bible, to get serious in it, and you've gone, what better place to read? start reading than the New Testament? When you open up Matthew, what do you first encounter? The genealogy of Jesus, right? Very daunting when you first start reading the Bible, because there's a whole bunch of unpronounceable names that make no sense to you. Right, and so you can meditate all you, you can dwell all you want on these names, but they won't mean anything unless you have a background history and knowledge of the significance of these names, um, of the significance of these names. Now, my advice to you, if that's you, is very simple: get a study Bible. Get a study Bible. Huge plug for study Bibles, right? ESV Study Bible, NIV Study Bible. Brilliant. Okay, that's my advice to anyone. If you can't be bothered going to Quran to get a study Bible, then just Google online commentaries. Google online comments just to get a sense of what this passage is saying so that you have a basic understanding of what it means. Because some of you, um, but see, some of us, what we do is um, we just stop there. For some of us, we 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 do that. I remember I used to do this when I, I would I would re- just read the Bible. I have a study bar, I read the passage. I read the commentary, and I go, "Well, I understand it now. I'm off. Job done." And some of us, what we do though, is stop there. But the problem is that if you stop there, you understand what the passage means, but you still haven't understood what it means for you. I remember one preacher said this very very nicely. Um, he said, "There's two critical questions we need to ask ourselves when we read the Bible. One, what's happening?" in there in the word in that time and place and two what's happening in me two very important questions we need to ask what's happening in there and secondly what's happening in me it's not enough to just understand what the Bible is saying we need to go further and go what is the Bible saying to me what is God saying to me and I think this is the reason why many Christians don't hear God when they read the Bible it's because we don't give time for his words to sink from the top of our minds to the bottom of our hearts. In Psalms chapter 1 verse 1 to 3, it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of that sinner's take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. And a lot of us, we want verse three, don't we? We want to be this tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. Right? We want to be this tree. But in order to be this tree, this type of person, we need to do verse two, which is meditating on his law day and night. Now, don't be freaked out by this word Meditate. Okay. Um, Now Christian meditation is different from, I don't know, secular meditation, worldly meditation, where worldly meditation is about emptying your mind. Um, Christian meditation is about filling your mind with the Word of God. Uh, Now, some people, though, when they see this word meditate, reduce meditation to scripture memory. We go, oh, scripture memory, (laughs) I don't have time for that. My memory's not very good. Um, And they get freaked out. They get put off. Now, While scripture memory can be very helpful to um, meditating on God's word, dwelling on it, um, because what better way to meditate on God's word, dwell on it, let it sink in, than knowing it by heart. However, what principally underpins meditation is that posture of dwelling on what God is saying and allowing it to sink in. Just ruminating over it. To not just read the passage and walk off, but to sit and think on it, to dwell on it, and allow the Holy Spirit to percolate it in your mind until it results in a dissolution of revelation in your heart. That is why we meditate, we dwell, um, not on whole chapters sometimes, but just on a few verses. Some of us, what will transform your word life is if you take time to just dwell on the word of God, dwelling on the word of God, sitting in his presence and allowing it to sink in. Now, if we stop there, this would be great for many of us. It would be great. We'll read our Bibles, hear God speaking to us through it. It'd be awesome. But it's actually incomplete. If we just did that, it'd be incomplete. If we want to experience a true renewal of our word life, and to encounter God in His Word, Him speaking to us, we need to not only read it, we need to respond to it. Because when God speaks, He demands a response. I want to turn you to James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. With a man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You know, I hear this all the time. I hear people say, Oh. I know what the Bible says. Oh, I've heard that before. I know that passage. Maybe that's how you responded to this passage. Oh, I've heard that before. Yep, know it. I know that word. I know that passage. Now, my challenge to that, if I may, just for a moment, just push back on that slightly, is do we truly know the word of God if we don't do anything about it? Do we truly know the word of God if we don't do anything about it? I mean, The imagery here is striking, isn't it? Um, James says that if you just listen, or in our case, if you just read the Word of God, but don't do anything with what you just heard or read, you're like a person who sees themselves in a mirror and walks away and forgets. Forgets. It's not that you didn't do anything with what you saw. It's that you've forgotten what you look like. Now, this is... The implication here is that if you don't do with anything with what you've heard or read, you've effectively forgotten it. Therefore, do you truly know the Word of God if you don't do anything with it? I mean, if you think about it, forgetting what you look like is impossible. Right? It's impossible. Something is actually wrong with your physiology, right? If you look at a mirror and you walk away and you forget what you look like. That's a, you have severe short-term memory, right? And that is the point, right? That's the point that James is making. It is unnatural for someone to forget how they look like after seeing themselves. Similarly, in the same way, it is unnatural for us to hear the voice of God and not respond to it. To hear things like, God loves you more than his own life. God loves you more than his own comfort. God loves you so much that he would die for you, the cruelest death, so that you could know him, so that you could just have a relationship with him. To hear something like that, to read something like that, to read about the death of Jesus Christ and go, sounds good, cool, right? That's weird. To read passages of scripture that tell us, for example, If you want to follow Jesus, you need to to deny yourself, pick up your cross, a torture device, and follow him. And to read something like that, to hear something like that and go, awesome, yep, sounds good, sounds about right. That's, That's a bit weird, isn't it? Isn't that a bit weird? If we really took that seriously, wouldn't that terrify you to your core? Like, to follow Jesus, he is asking me to Deny myself, essentially die to me, and then pick up what is equivalent to a torture, ancient torture device, and to follow him. Um, That's very difficult. We read passages like, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we took that seriously, what would it mean to you? What would it mean to your life if you were to care about someone else the same way, to care for their well-being as much as you care for your own well-being? What would that mean for you? Many parts of Scripture, if we actually responded to it, would be utterly terrifying. In fact, they would be impossible. And I think that for many of us, but many of us, we have not responded to the very words we say we know. And so what we have become is a whole bunch of people that know a lot about, have a lot of knowledge, and we think that we're very spiritually strong because I know a lot about the Bible, but in fact, what we are is we're spiritually obese. We know a lot, but do nothing with it. So we've got a whole bunch of people here I'm cleaning myself in the mix. They can exposit, they can explain the gospel to the T, but it doesn't affect your life at all. And that's the problem. Because one we haven't allowed it to sink in from our minds to our hearts, two we haven't actually responded to it. And by responding, I'm not I'm not talking about doing something necessarily because there's some parts of scripture that you don't do anything with. I mean, how, what do you do in response to the gospel? It's not something to do. It's something to believe and receive. Many parts of scripture, when you hear something like, for example, um, God's been really speaking to me about um, being a good neighbor, literally to my neighbors in my community, and, um, and I realized that I really didn't want to do that because it'd be very uncomfortable for me. Because I like just going home and not saying hi to anybody and going to my house and having a good time. Um, but what God's been challenging me to do is actually no, you need to reach out and you need to engage with your community. And that's really hard for me to do. But God has been speaking to me about that. How do I respond to that? All right, I just got to say hi to my neighbors. No, I actually got my the proper response is to pray, is to repent before God and go, God, I can't do that. God, I don't want to do that because of the hardness of my heart. But Holy Spirit, may you change my heart. May you work in me. May you pour out your love into my heart by the Holy Spirit and make it overflow to my neighbors, to my literal neighbors, that I will care more about them than I care about my own comfort and well-being. What can change your heart other than the Holy Spirit working in you? For some of us, that's all we need to do. We need to respond to God by actually going, God, I can't do what you've just said. Or, God, this is very hard for me to do. Or, God, I don't want to do it, but help me to do it. Change my heart so that I get to the point where I would want to do it. Imagine. Imagine if all of us just did, took everything that we know about the Word of God, about the Bible, and did something about it. Imagine if every single one of us took the little or much that we knew know about the Word of God and just did something about it. What would change? My guess is that if we just took just 1% of the stuff that we know, our world would never be the same again. Our world would never be the same again. Our communities would never be the same again. Your workplace would never be the same again. Your schools would never be the same again. If we just took the little that we know and just responded to it, just was obedient to it, just was faithful to it. I mean, think about it. The disciples in the early church, they didn't know a lot. They didn't have the Bible as we know it. Yet they transformed the world inside out. How? Why? Because they took the little that they had and they just did it that's my challenge, that's my encouragement for us today, is if you understand the word of God, if you take the time to dwell on it, to understand it, and to hear God speaking to through it that you would go, yes and amen, I'm going to do that yes God, I, that's very hard for me to do, but I'm going to take it seriously and God, show me how to do this show me how to live faithfully and obediently to your word so if you're seeking for a renewal of your word life this year, to see the Bible not just as a lifeless book, but alive and active in your life, then maybe can I suggest just taking a few minutes of your day, a few moments of your day to dwell on the Word of God and His presence. And to allow the Holy Spirit to allow it to come alive in you. And when you hear God speaking, to do something about it. Do something about it. Then you will be an abundant, flourishing tree planted by streams of living water blessed in everything that you do. Amen. Josh, I know that this is, this is actually, and I know I may have come across very harshly, um, especially in that last bit to you, uh, um, but I actually speak one from experience and one with a desire that you would not um, live your entire Christian life hating this book, dreading this book. Hearing things like restore passion for God, come back to dev- a devotional life and, and just going, oh, I just can't be bothered um, I don't believe that's what the life God has called us to. I don't want you to leave with that kind of life. I pray, my hope today, is the Holy Spirit would show you how living and active this word is. That this truly is God speaking to us. The Kinetics, as you go to camp, it won't just be the charisma of your speakers that impacts you it's the very words of God. That church, as we go home today, it will not just be the sermon or sermons or podcasts that you listen to that will impact you. It won't just be Christian books that tell you about the Bible and what it says that impacts you, but it will be the very words of God. If you haven't heard God speaking to you through his word for what feels like an age, my prayer for you today is that we'll change today. So um, can I get every head bowed and every eyes closed as we end? Um, the first group of people that I want to... Um, call for a response to is um, if you aren't a believer, you, you don't, you wouldn't say before today that you were Christian, you believed in God, um, I want to give you an opportunity today, because you're in church, to respond. To have Jesus come to your life, to accept that He is your Lord, your Savior that came to this earth and die the cruelest death so that you might have eternal life. And that eternal life doesn't begin in the future when you die. That eternal life begins right now because eternal life is life with God. So if that's you, can I just get you to raise your hand nice and high? No one is looking around. Can you get to raise your hand nice and high? I'll just acknowledge you and pray for you. If that's you, raise your hand nice and high. I'd love to pray for you. Well, if there's anyone, can I just pray for you? Yeah? Father, I'm praying for those people who do not know you as a Lord and Savior, who do not have a relationship with you. Father, I am praying, oh God, that you would call them to yourself. And I pray, oh God, that you will, if, if they believe in you, but they just maybe too shy to respond, Father, I pray, oh God, that you will respond to their faith and to their desire. And I pray that you would come into them, Holy Spirit, and breathe new life into their life, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, let's all stand. As I invite the worship team to lead us in a song, uh, there's just, I, I want to just open up this time for us to respond to this message, just to maybe just dwell in his presence just for a moment. Um, if that's you, uh, the altar's open for you to come down, um, to just dwell in his presence, to start right, to start the year right. If you felt very far from God or if you have felt that, you know, there's so much stuff that God has been, you think God has been speaking to you, but you've never just taken that time to just go, just sit in his presence and to let him speak, then I want to give you this moment to do that. And the reason why I want to invite you to the front and not in your seats is because when everyone starts moving, that's not going to happen. There's no dwelling in God's, you know, there's no dwelling in silence anymore. But when you come to the front, there's no distractions here. So this is not to, um, not to embarrass you in any way, but it's just to give you a moment to come before God and to dwell in His presence and to allow His words to sink in to your heart. Let's do that as, we, uh, as the worship team leads us in a song.